Steve. Richie. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Okay. What do you want to hear first? Uh, the good news. Good news is in work today, I got a Google Home smart speaker. Okay. What's, is that like the Google version of Alexa, is it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just like a thing you talked and it does stuff for you. Okay. So that's the good news. The bad news is you've been replaced on this podcast. Ah, oh, not again. Because I can do stuff like, hey, Google, who's the president of Ireland? The president of the Republic of Ireland is Michael D. Higgins. Hey, Google, how tall is he? He's 1.63 metres tall. Did you know that, Steve? Uh, no. Oh, there you go. You've been replaced. Yeah, I mean, I can just imagine you getting an entire one-hour episode out of asking this this thing trivia. Okay, what do you? What, what have you always want to know about politics, but you've been too stupid to um, know? How small are Trump's hands? Hey, Google, how small are Trump's hands? Sorry, I can't help with that yet. They're like really small. <laughs> Thanks, Google. Actually, hold on a second. It might just have made me redundant as well. Hey, Google, tell me a joke. Okay, here you go. What do you get from a pampered cow? Spoiled milk. Oh, that's really good. Spoiled milk? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and it moves. That's just like a that's just that's a really good joke. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I think we I think we've I think the machines have replaced us both, Steve. <sighs> God damn it, not again. It, there's only one thing we can do in a situation like this. Hey Google, play podcast pump up jams on Spotify. Sure. Playing your Spotify playlist called Podcast Pump Up Jams. <laughs> Was that the only song on the playlist or is it just... What? Was that the only song on the playlist or was it like seven different possibilities for terrible, terribly cheese? That's my podcast pump-up jam. I don't know what what to tell you. (laughs) Was this created before you thought of this idea for the cold open? So news. (laughs) Hey Richie, we repealed the eight. We repealed the eight! Yay! This isn't breaking no, it feels news. Like, feels like forever ago. <laughs> yeah, it quite it was like it's at least three weeks ago or two weeks ago mm. by the time we're releasing this episode, but still significant after huge, a, absolutely huge. A long, hard fought campaign. Um mm-hmm. people assumed it was gonna be very close. The polls weren't re- they were saying there was like twenty five percent don't know. It turns out that all yeah. those twenty five percent don't know swung towards yes. And it was Yay. a huge majority. It was like sixty six, thirty three. Yeah, it was, it was it was fantastic. It was. I was shocked. I was shocked. Yeah, you 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 um when we talked about it before, you were of the impression that it was going to be pretty close. Yeah, I definitely thought it wouldn't go over fifty five if it was going to go yes, and I was still mm. like preparing myself for a no, mm. and I was totally wrong. We were all totally wrong. Never been happier to be wrong, and I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> anyone that said that they predicted it are lying, though. It really? Yeah. Like there was no way. Is there anyone who said they predicted it? Uh, Some people were like, oh, well, the polls did say that. But that's like if you assume that all these don't know swing towards yes, well, then that was why. But then like that never happened. It never happens like that. Right. But so now the next step is for the government to actually write up abortion law, because at the moment we're still running on what we had before. But all that's changed now is that the government has the option of changing abortion laws. And how likely are they? Okay, first of all, how what's how quick are they going to do it? It's going to take probably until January of next year before it's actually a law in action okay. in Ireland. Um, and does it look like they're going to stick with what they were, what was currently proposed during the, the campaign? The current government? The 12 weeks 100% and all that. 100% will. Yep, the current government 100% will. They are basically saying they're going to legislate and turn the 12 week up to 12 weeks and then special cases afterwards. Um, they're going to basically apply that. And the only thing that might happen though is that there might be an election. And if that happens, then it's all up in the air okay and okay. rumors around dublin at the moment is that there might be an election this summer oh really yeah um rumors or trumors how do i tell before they happen was that was that, was that a sentence question mark <laughs> I, that, that's my fault i threw bad english at you and you threw it right back in my face <laughs> but go on anyway yes and also a big thing that has spun out of this is that people in the uk were delighted to hear that ireland have um, given up on their need to go over there and keep their abortion service clinics very busy. Mm-hmm. They're they're happy that we're actually going and and, and get our get our own problem sorted. Mm-hmm. But they also only noticed that Northern Ireland is now the only place on the two islands of Ireland and Britain that still has illegal 
um, entirely illegal abortion. Yeah. And they're kind of noticing going, hey, they're part of the UK and maybe we can actually do something about it mm-hmm. because Westminster has the power to actually force them to to change their abortion laws. So that's a big debate going on in UK politics at the moment. What's the and biggest holdup stopping them? The DUP, as always. <laughs> it's as like always. they're the holdup party. The DUP won't let me be a lip. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the DUP are holding up the law from changing because they basically prop up Theresa May's government. Yeah. They make up the majority in the in the House of Commons for her to be Prime Minister. So they don't want any abortion laws coming into Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it's not very likely that a Prime Minister who depends on their votes is going to force them to do something they don't want to do. Makes sense. And plus, it would look pretty dodgy in terms of the devolutionary system for London to impose laws upon Belfast when they can't when they don't even have a, a functioning government in Belfast at the moment. Yeah. It would be it would be proper direct rule, even though it would be for a very good thing, mm-hmm. it would be a bad way to do it. Very easy to spin it in a negative way. Yeah, it, it wouldn't really, it wouldn't It wouldn't look very good. So I think it, the government in the UK are going to try and ignore it as much as they can and hope that people forget. Mm-hmm. But it's been two weeks and it's still a pretty big talking point in UK politics, so I don't think they're going to get away with that. Okay, I just want to make sure I don't forget. Okay, Google, set reminder to talk to Northern Ireland about the whole abortion thing. When do you want to be reminded? When do I be reminded? Uh, August. Sorry, when do you want to be reminded? <laughs> August. She's very pushy. August. Let's say August. Sorry, I still didn't catch that. <gasps> August. Let's say when you'd like your reminder. August. First. I'm afraid I'm still having trouble. <laughs> what? You. There might the, be some noise in the background. There's not. First of August. Okay, well, that's never going to pass now. I had to change my Google thing to Canadian on my phone because I don't think the English one understands my accent. Okay. August, eh? What's the... (laughs) Look, I'm getting nowhere with this. Go on. Okay, uh, more news. Trump um, tweeted today that he definitely has the power to pardon himself for crimes that he may commit or be charged with. Does he, though? Um, We don't know because a president has never done it before because it's dodge (laughs) as fuck. Of course it is. But technically... Does he like go? Does he go into a local corner store and just swipes up an apple, bites it in front of the cashier's face, and points at himself and goes, "Pardon," and then spits out, "Pardon." He has to go into the mirror and actually say, "I, Donald J. Trump, pardon Donald J. Trump (laughs) for all high crimes and misdemeanors." (laughs) Yeah, um, it's it's kind of it's annoying because he's declaring that he can pardon himself for crimes that he claims he hasn't committed. So, Such a dodgy thing to do, yeah. to say. And like, if it does, why are you announcing that? It would be a full-on constitutional crisis if he decides to pardon mm. himself. But then again, if he's actually getting to the point where he has to pardon himself, I think the states will already be in constitutional crisis mode. Right, yeah. As people are comparing him to a king because kings um, have the power to pardon themselves because they're basically not bound by the law. Mm-hmm. So it's King Trump, Regal, Reg- Regis Trumpanus forever. Mm, very kingly individual, I've always said that. You see, monarchs, Richie, monarchs, fix eggs. Yeah. Uh, Italy have managed to get themselves a government after a lot of to and fro mm-hmm. A good one? Um, I don't know. It's strange. So the two biggest parties after the election they had like three months ago were the Five Star Movement. They sound really good. Or like a populist lefty party. Uh, kinda. And then, it depends. They're, they were set up by a comedian and they're, they claimed themselves to be online based and like not really a real political party. They consider themselves more like a movement. Mm-hmm. But they've actually gone and gotten themselves elected um, but they've gone into power with the other big winner, who are the Northern League, who are right-wing populist, oh. who hate immigration, and neither of them like the Euro and the European Union that much. They blame... Right. Did they not Did they not cancel each other out and then there's just no government? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> they come together and they're ministers and they, they actually, they picked like a neutral dude to be the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And he, tr- he first tried to appoint a very anti-Euro fella as the minister for finance but the president of italy said no you can't do that okay and that caused a big crisis for a couple of days but then they got back together and they actually proposed a different guy who's a little bit mm-hmm. less anti-euro but he's not like the first guy but a fake mustache on is he could have been but it's, it's italy so you know they're, they're up to all sorts of duplicitous things there mm-hmm. um italy has not been in a good way economically for quite a long time now even before the eurozone crisis it, it was still doing pretty shabby because they have a huge amount of public debt that I think they racked up back in the 80s when they had particularly bad government back then. Mm-hmm. 
And I think someone made the joke that like since Italy's formation in 1895, they had like that one year, that one time when they didn't have political crises going on, but all the rest of it has just been <laughs> constant turmoil. So this is no different. The only problem is, is that it's starting to affect the Eurozone at large because Italy is one of the biggest members of the Eurozone. I think it's the third or fourth biggest economy in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're members of the G7 and all this crazy crisis and potential fights with the Eurozone ministers coming up in the future have like dropped the value of the Euro quite a lot, which is not good. Pants. Pants. Yeah. It's not good if you're, you're someone like me that has to go to the UK next week. It's going to make things 10% more expensive. God damn it. Oh yeah. When do you get here? Friday. Friday. Okay, cool. I forgot about that. <laughs> you're staying with me, right? I know we should probably do this off air, but yeah, you're staying with me. That uh, yeah, I hope so. I thought I was. Okay, <laughs> okay no, that's, that's fine. I don't know if Donald Trump has come in there, like broke into his house and slept in my sofa bed and said, pardon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's three stories. That's 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 the lot. Um, lots of other stuff going on, but these are the only three things that... No, no, no. We've established this in the past. Every two weeks, three things happen. <laughs> yes. And we talk about them. <laughs> Nothing else has happened. So do we, uh, what, what now? Do we have anything else to talk about? Otherwise, I'm going to go play with my Google Home. No, because we decided to interview a author a couple of weeks ago about a book. About what? What's a book about? The People versus Tech. I can't remember the byline. The people versus tech, how the internet is killing democracy, parentheses, and how we save it, I believe is the full title. Yeah, and we talked to him about the fact that they kind of add on that parentheses at the end in crayon because I think he was forced <laughs> to do it by his publishers. He wanted it to be a very, very bleak book, but they were like, no, yeah. no just, uh, just put this thing here at the end, just so, you know, positivity sells. And we talk in, in this book, or in this, in this uh, interview, we talk about how things like the Google Home I've been chatting to for this entire intro are kind of bad because they collect data on you and they make you easier to market to and easier to target and therefore more easy to manipulate. And I didn't realize this until after I had gotten the Google Home today. I didn't realize the irony of it. And then yeah. it hit me. And rather than feel bad about it, I decided to capitalize on it and turn it into podcast fodder because that's my life now. Yes. And as well, it'll also be like there's lots of people listening out there that maybe want the Google Home but can't afford it. And they're looking at you with your podcast spoils and riches, getting another advantage upon them, you know? Not only do you. No, have- I got th- I did not. I did not pay for this. this. Podcasting is not a profitable enterprise. So, who did you steal the Google Home off, Richie? Let's roll the interview. <laughs> cool. So uh, we're here with Jamie Bartlett, journalist, director of. I wrote this down because I would never remember it. Director <laughs> yeah, of the you center. Do a lot of stuff. <laughs> director of the center for the analysis of social media at Demos. Yeah, which I is forget a- it myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're also a TED talker. <laughs> and most importantly, you are the author of the new book, The People Versus Tech. What's the subline again? How the internet is killing democracy. And then my editors made me put something good in brackets. The parentheses. Oh, we were literally talking about that. I was about to say it to you, but then you showed up. Was that we were talking about the title and then the subtitle and then the part in parentheses. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I bet you that was like an addendum <laughs> added on to make sure it's not too yeah, scary of a title. It's true. The editors are like, you can't just be so downbeat all the time. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have something positive to give people something to hang on to. We haven't <laughs> actually <laughs> mentioned it. What is, what's in it's, brackets? It's and how to save it. Yes. Yes. It You're, being democracy. It be, it, <laughs> <laughs> not like, you know, how to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, like a, that's a super provocative title. But well, it's, also, it's also well earned. Is the thing I'll say. Like when when I, when, I, when we were reading it, we were chatting about how, you know, just a couple of pages in or a chapter in, you realise that you've actually earned that title. Oh well, yeah, thanks. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it is a it is a provocative title, but the the point of the book as well is to shake people and say there's a really big crisis going. We're really at risk here of, yeah. of losing democracy, of people totally giving up on it as a system of like drifting into some awful techno-authoritarianism. And you've got to kind of shake people to realise what's going on because once you get there, it's too late. Mm. And obviously, I mean, if I'm perfectly honest, the title should be How Modern Digital Technology is Undermining Modern Liberal Representative Democracy in Advanced Capitalist Economies. But that's I perfect. Mean, who wants to, who wants to go read with that? that? Yeah, I can see it on the side of a bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like on the Kindle store. It's like how and then a bunch of dots. <laughs> Expand. Yeah, exactly. But so can you give us just like a broad strokes then about you touching a little bit there but about what the concept the book is trying to tackle? Well, over the last few years, I've seen like all of us really, a series of stories about the about problems to do with the internet. Oh, it's internet trolling, it's Russian disinformation, it's Cambridge Analytica, it's automation and the rise of a jobless future where everything's being done by robots. And 
And obviously the turbulence in politics and the elections we've seen recently and the sort of anger and rage. And I used to see them almost in isolation, like just a series of bad events. Mm. But um, I increasingly came to see that maybe they were part of a bigger story, which is we got this democracy that um, we've built up over several decades. Uh, it's a sort of old technology. It relies on certain institutions to keep it running. Uh it was built in an analog time. And then suddenly you've got this digital technology that turns up not so long ago. And the two things just keep colliding with each other. They mm. keep causing problems for each other. They don't really work together very well. And so the way that I see it is that digital technology, especially social media, but not that's not only that, of course, artificial intelligence is a really important part of this too, is obviously liberating at a personal level. Like these gadgets that we've all got in our hands all the time, you know, they help us. We learn things. We find out about stuff. We can communicate with each other. We can speak our mind. So on first sight, it's very good for democracy because it's good for individual liberty. But there are boring things that make democracy work too. A strong middle class, a vibrant local media ecosystem, a criminal justice system that works, citizens that are prepared to compromise with each other, elections that people actually trust that aren't constantly being meddled with by outside forces. And all of those boring bits of democracy are being gradually undermined by digital technology. Mm. And my worry is that people are just going to lose faith in democracy as a system that actually works. And especially when you've got the rise of these smart machines and artificial intelligence, that's only going to get worse. So you mentioned at the start of the book that when you started working first at Demos, you were actually optimistic about the potential for the technology and social media to actually yeah. help the democratic process. You guys even developed an app called Verto and to try and help help people um, pick who they wanted to vote for. But now writing the book a couple of years later, you think that that may have been one of the worst ideas you've ever worked on? <laughs> one of the worst ideas of lots of bad ideas that I've had. <laughs> the... Uh, the, the, the um, yeah, when I first came to Demos, as uh, a decade ago now, I was really, I was a real optimist about it. I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to use social media and the internet to breathe life into our tired old democracy. Twitter's the future. It's going to throw down these hierarchies and, like a lot of people. I mean, I guess you know, if you're if you're not an optimist about this when you're under thirty, then you've got no heart. But mm. if you're still an optimist when you're over thirty, then you've got no brain. You know, that's <laughs> paraphrasing Winston Churchill there, but um. But but over the years, yeah, I did become more optimistic, uh, pessimistic about this, and more worried. And I guess seeing patterns of behaviour and how you think you're going to throw down hierarchies with your smartphone, and then you realise that other hierarchies just turn up in their place, and other power structures and other problems emerged. And in a way, that's the story of Silicon Valley itself: this great optimism about how we're going to change the world for the better, but not realising that when you smash everything up you're kind of responsible for the problems that come with it and things don't always work out as you plan. And this voter app, I thought it was the best idea ever. I mean, basically <laughs> what you do is you you put in your... You answer a series of questions about what you care about. Do you like high tax or low tax, immigration? What do you think about the NHS? And some clever algorithm then tells you who you should vote for. It's meant to help you decide who to vote for. And I thought this was brilliant. I thought this is going to mean that people who are unsure, are, are guided, they're assisted. Now I think 5 million people have used that app or a similar apps. Um, now I just think the one, the one responsibility that every citizen has is to think for themselves about who they should vote for. It's not that hard. You, you can read about it. It's easy. And yet millions of people are relying on a machine to tell and a machine they don't understand to tell them who to vote for. All that does in the end is means you lose your critical faculties to even think for yourself when you just ask a machine to do everything for you. Siri, who should I vote for in the EU <laughs> referendum? I don't know what to do. And then Siri tells you, OK, I'll do that. Is that a democracy? Yeah. And then the danger is, is that perhaps... When you're asking Siri, Trump's voice jumps in and goes, you should vote for Donald Trump this time. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't even realise that the app that you're asking is in fact paid for and run by a political campaign. Exactly, exactly. Who's programming it? Who's behind it? What are the biases in this algorithm that's telling you who to vote for? It might be a, it might be a right-wing person, but it might be a liberal person that's, uh, that's kind of nudging you and, and pushing you. And just like gradually and slowly... See, this is the thing that worries me, is that 
without even realising it, all of us just lose the ability to think for ourselves properly because we just rely on machines to do things for us. And a democracy, I don't know if it really works when everybody's just relying on machines. And do you think we're starting to see the effects of that already, even though it's only like realistically it's only been in very, very recent human history that we've had these devices and these influences. But do you think we are already, from the perspective of politics, seeing these negative effects? I, I, the, the one feature of politics over the last um, five years that I've noticed more than other any other is the sort of rise of tribalism in politics, which is a sort of politics where you don't really think for yourself. You just pick the team that you're on. We're the good guys. Everybody else is a bad guy. You begin to see everybody else as just arguing in bad faith. Your opponents are evil. They're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They're malevolent. And you're on your team. And politics has always been tribal a little bit because it kind of has to be in a way with part, with political parties. But the level of tribalism now and the speed with which people just denounce each other immediately without listening to them, without thinking about what they're saying, without willing to entertain the idea that they may have a point of view that's valid, that to me is part of it because that's the expression of citizens who are lazy, who are angry, who are taking shortcuts, who can't be bothered to think, but rather just point at each other. That's how I judge politics today. That's the thing that I worry about it. And to me, that is that is what digital technology is doing to politics. Because I guess the point of digital technology is that they don't claim to be necessarily media platforms per se, looking to put out good messages on people's behalf. They want you to sit on the app and scroll. And one of the things that's going to bring you back to the app is the opportunity to point and shout at people on online, which obviously then they're going to change the algorithm to try and pull you back in to make yeah. you see more of those things. That's the whole... See, that's one of the incompatibility problems. I mean, these social media platforms, they call themselves tech firms, but in the end, they're advertising firms, really. That's where all the money comes from. So they are incentivized to keep you on the site for as long as possible. You know, some of the brightest minds in the world are sitting in basements trying to work out how can we keep these guys online for another nanosecond? Because if we can, it means a little bit more data about them we collect or a slightly get a better chance of them clicking on an advert. That, and that's the logic of how they, they their business model works. And when it comes to politics, like what keeps you on? What keeps you glued online? It's emotional content. It's outrageous content. It's stuff that gets you angry and frustrated. That's what adverts have always been about. And that's kind of what's happening to politics. But and emotion is part of politics. But you, at some point, if you get too emotional when it comes to politics, you just end up screaming at each other. Right? I mean, you guys must have seen this online. I mean, this is people sh who you know in real life they're not really like that. You know that you could probably get on okay, yeah. but you end up slagging each other off, screaming at each other. So the practical um, aspects. Cambridge Analytica has been a huge story this spring. And you actually have to bring the release of the book forward a couple of weeks because it turns out your six book weeks. is six weeks. Oh, God, don't get me started <laughs> on what happened. <laughs> because you had already, you had you had gone over to the US um, as research for a documentary you're working on before, The Disruptors of Silicon Valley, wasn't it? Where yeah, you talked to the yeah. people that worked for Trump. Yeah. So I guess you had already seen and were aware of all this work that was going on, but then all of a sudden everyone else decides to be aware mm. <laughs> just when you're about to release your book. Yeah, it's weird that because we, you know, this BBC series I did. Yeah, I, I interviewed um, the head honcho at Cambridge Analytica, Alexander Nix. Uh, since he's retired, or he's been, he's, he's resigned. been retired. He's been, he has been retired <laughs> like a replicant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it's funny with 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 the whole story actually because the whole thing is like a James Bond movie. I think that's one of the reasons it's been so, like, people have got so interested in this because we covered it for the BBC six or nine months ago now and it didn't generate anywhere near the same amount of interest. So I, I interviewed Alexander Nix. I went to San Antonio, Texas and went to the office where all where the Cambridge Analytica guys were working with the Trump team and I met the person that was designing all of Trump's content online and she was writing all of his Facebook posts for him, which was a really weird experience because... Mm. I was like, so what was it like then writing Facebook posts for Donald Trump? And she said, oh, it was wonderful because when he writes posts, it's so authentic. Ugh. 
And I was oh like, God, the irony. yeah, that's uh, <laughs> weird. <laughs> you know what authentic means. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of part of it, which is authenticity now is just another thing for politicians to try to create. Oh, it's, it's not actually authenticity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, it didn't actually generate a huge amount of interest. I seen it. I seen that documentary when, when it came out. And the thing that I remembered was the self-driving truck. Yeah. I didn't really put too much thought on the Cambridge Analytica thing. And then yeah. afterwards I was like, oh, well, oh. I didn't yeah, pay attention to the right part of that I documentary. Think this is why people now have got so into it. So you got this, obviously the observer and this journalist there, Carol Cadwallader, has been really driving this story. And it's like, so you got Alexander Nix. He's uh, an Eton-educated head of this data analytics firm, and he looks a bit like a Bond villain anyway. <laughs> and then you've got this shadowy billionaire called Mercer who like runs yeah. the whole thing. You've got That's an academic a- who got the data from Facebook called Spectre, <laughs> a- a.k.a. Kogan. And then you have like this scrappy little journalist called Carol who's on the case, and it's literally like it's a Bond movie. It's going to be a movie, yeah. It's yeah. a Bond movie. <laughs> called Spectre. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> and... um. Yeah, so we 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 kind of I I was surprised how many people were surprised in the end because this is going on all the time. A lot of political parties are doing this stuff, and they're collecting data, they're building profiles on people using social media data, they're targeting everyone. And when Obama did it in two thousand and twelve, everyone was cheering him to the rafters, saying, "This is genius! It's wonderful! Trump does it, and it's the end of the world." And, is that um, because the level to which each individual was doing it, like the the, the Trump had, you know, like those 5,000 data points on 200 million plus people. I assume Obama's wasn't as as invasive as that, or is it just more of an ideological difference? I think it's a bit of both. I've been, tr- I've been trying to think about this myself, like what accounts for the difference? Yeah. And I, I think in some ways it's that a lot of liberals just love Obama, so right. he anything he did was was cool and that's fine. And, you know, and when your guy wins, it's great. Um, but, I, but I do think it's that... The level of intrusion now, even now compared to 2012, is much greater. Like, there's much more data you can get on people. A lot more of it's now about psychological profiling, whereas Obama's might have been about, you know, do they tend to vote Democrat or not? And what's their income level? Now it's all about what are their emotional drivers? You know, what really annoys them? What kind of personality types do they have? So it's definitely more intrusive. But, you know, that should be a cause for worry because a lot of this was perfectly legal, what they did. Mm. Think about the direction of travel. What's an election going to be like in a decade? Mm. This is what I'm, I'm worried about. This is why I'm trying to write, you know, I'm trying to get the word out with this book. It's like, forget for a second the Trump election or Brexit or whatever. Think about where we're going. Like, if we carry on in the same direction. Because in... In elections in the 2020s, candidates and well, they'll have 10,000 data points on you, 20,000 data points on you. They'll know more and more and more about everything that you care about. And you'll just get more and more personalised messages about exactly the thing you care about that you're worried about. And it'll all be to do with nudging you to vote for them. Is that where we want politics to go, really? Like a data science of like nudging people. That's what I'm worried about, you know? Yeah. It feels like it feels like an erosion of free will, but so slowly that you don't even realise you're losing it. Yeah, the kind of the 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 boiling frog problem. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that they say, but like we're entering into this world of people are calling it the Internet of Things or you know Internet enabled devices, the Internet of Everything. I.e., everything is going to be chipped up and recording data. So your children's clothes will be chipped up; they'll be recording data. You have a smart fridge, a smart coffee machine. By the way, your smart coffee machine will get hacked into and Ukrainian criminals will be asking for a ransom payment. You're pointing at me directly. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at you because you look like you need a coffee. (laughs) I I, I can do, yeah. Uh, And you'll pay any Bitcoin to get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You have to pay your Bitcoin to get your coffee in the morning. But that'll be creating data about how many coffees you drink and what time you drink them. And we'll work out, you know, through correlating your coffee consumption with the tone of your facebook posts your mood versus your coffee consumption oh that'll be so easy like they just send me all the angriest ads just right before i have my coffee and exactly like, yeah. <laughs> exactly but they'll be from politicians so you're going to get the law and order candidate at 8am will be pissed you know point trying to get you a message about you know we need to make sure that this that and the other doesn't yeah. happen tough on crime and because you haven't had your coffee you'll be like yeah damn it <laughs> so impressionable steve god <laughs> I, I just need that caffeine you know yeah. once i get the caffeine i'm totally pro obama don't ask me before yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so you but this is i know it sounds a bit ludicrous but 
I kind of feel like a lot of the stuff that happens at the moment would have sounded ridiculous 10 years ago. And that's the direction of travel. And we've really got to ask ourselves, is this where we want to take politics? So by the time this episode comes out, the referendum in Ireland over the Eighth Amendment uh, for abortion will have been finished. But the big news now as we're recording is that um, Facebook first were the ones to come out and announce that they were going to stop all foreign funded ads on the platform to do with the referendum. The next day, Google decided to one-up them and say, we're banning all adverts on Google on YouTube to do with the Eighth Amendment. And the reaction in Ireland has been that this is kind of, the companies have stepped in and taken the initiative rather than, because there wasn't really any legislation for the government to stop yeah. them. What, what do you make of, of these companies' reaction to that? Oh, it's, yeah, it was a really interesting announcement, wasn't it, from both of those companies? And I kind of, I think it was probably the right thing to do as well. Because like the, the last few years, local elections, referendums, national elections around the world, um, it started really in, with the, especially in, in Ukraine with the Ukrainian stuff and Russia's meddling there, has been every single one has involved some degree of international involvement, meddling, fake adverts, fake content, trying to influence the outcome of these. Not necessarily even just influence the outcome, but also just stir up trouble and division. So you could very well have Russian-sponsored adverts on both sides of the argument posting ads, contradictory but really inflammatory, just trying to get people arguing and hating on each other. Because part of the, the vision from the Russian government there is to undermine cohesion in democracy so people end up hating each other. And I mean, we can do that perfectly well without their help, thanks very <laughs> yeah. much. But frankly, leave us alone. <laughs> and... um. And I think that what they're trying to do, especially since Trump, since the Trump stuff, is to put in place some better measures to try to control and monitor where the ad spend's coming on on, politi- on big political events like that. And they've said repeatedly it's going to take them several months to do this. And I think they're just not ready for it. So they figure the easiest thing to do is just to put the blanket ban on. Mm. The, now, the, the difficulty for Facebook more than Google but I suppose Google via YouTube especially, is that it's not just adverts that can influence or get involved in political debates. I mean, anyone can post anything about any about anything they want. So ads are actually only a small part of the problem. You can have 10 million Russian citizens without the support of the government there deciding, hey, let's all get together and just try and, you know... Fake, create a load of fake accounts pretending that we're Irish citizens and get and, and stir up a bit of shit in the country while this while this like quite difficult and controversial um, debates going on, and I don't see an easy way around that. It's one thing to ban ads, and and you can say at least then the companies won't be making money off this, but it's very hard to ban users from doing it, and I don't. This is why I'm sort of I get a little bit pessimistic because I don't see an easy answer to that problem. Yeah, but what do you guys into, think? I well, mean, otherwise, if you, if you start banning users, you're getting into censorship, well, and that's yeah. like a, a different kettle of fish. Aside from just regulating advertisers, and yeah, feels like regulate regulating advertisers is the, is the easy thing that you yeah. can do and seems legit. You know? Regulating individuals so that we're going back to like a movie yeah. territory here now. Well, I know the YouTube thing that is something they've been targeted with a lot because, uh, like home content producers on YouTube can make a lot of money out of it. Not necessarily just YouTube themselves, but then and then so then YouTube are being are being blamed for allowing people like especially conspiracy theorists in the yeah. United States hop on and make a, a wacky video <laughs> spouting whatever they want immediately after some big event like a mass shooting, and they get all the first clicks up to one hundred thousand or whatever mm-hmm. before the main news sites can actually have the time to follow in, and I but YouTube have tried to take them down, and there's actually been a counter backlash saying that sometimes they're taking down the wrong producers. Mm. So yeah, I guess because they're doing it algorithmically, I guess some of yeah. it's yeah, some of it's all done through algorithm, and you always make a mistake. There's always a mistake with algorithm, and anytime you censor, you decide you're going to start censoring things. Uh, you some people are going to get caught up in the net, right? And so, in in a way, this is just a problem of companies. Once you have this power, you have this responsibility, and so, so I think both of the companies realize they've got a bit more response. They used to kind of wash their hands of this and say, "We're just a platform; it's not yeah. our problem." Yeah, platforms a nice catch-all for not yeah, blame yeah. for anything. Exactly. Whereas I think now they're increasingly seeing that we've got so much money, we're so influential, we can't hide behind the platform defense anymore. We've got to be a bit more proactive. That's going to cause them some other problems, like people saying 
you're censoring me unfairly, but they're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, I, I think in the end, it's going to be about citizens understanding that you've got to be quite sceptical about all the all the stuff you see online. So when you see all this inflammatory content or trend, a trending topic, uh, you know, this piece of content, oh, I can't believe it's been retweeted 10,000 times. It's a load of rubbish. Mm. That probably isn't 10,000 people retweeting it. It's probably 7,000 bots retweeting it just so it appears in front of your mm. feed. So calm down. Don't get annoyed about it. You know, be very critical about what you see because what appears to be influential and important online is often the product of a load of manipulation behind the scenes. So that's a good thing for citizens to take on because then hopefully we won't allow ourselves to get so frustrated. Like I go online and I see absolutely ridiculous stuff with loads of shares or loads of retweets. And I, th and I feel my temperature rising. I'm like, I can't believe everyone thinks this is right. Mm. And it's a conscious effort to be like, no, wait, that's probably not what it seems. Mm. Do you think, speaking about like bots, that bot discussion, do you think regulation over something like that when the platform is so complicated and it's made up of so many like different, say, engineers and no one person probably fully understands the complexities of these platforms in their entirety and they're only going to get more co complex. Do you think that will inherently make it harder to regulate these kind of things as they get harder and harder and worse and worse? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And the transnational too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the trans exactly. yeah this, is the, this is why I'm saying there's a kind of incompatibility problem with democracy because democracy requires that you can regulate things, you can understand them and you can hold them to account and you can... You should be able to look at an algorithm and be like, hang on a minute, this algorithm you've built, this is this is illegal. You're discriminating against people. And the people have a right to know that. And we don't we can't do that. We don't know. We don't know how this stuff works. And so like a lot of uh, discussion about whether YouTube's alg um, uh, recommendation engine algorithm, which proposes new videos for you to watch, whether that is has been accidentally designed, not intentionally, but designed to push you into ever more extreme corners. Like, oh, this guy's watching a left-wing video. He must be left-wing. Let's show him some more left-wing ones. And the more radical left-wing ones, the more likely he'll watch them. And because that's then the ones that you've, you're offered, you, they're obviously the ones you're going to click on, which the algorithm interprets as like, oh, we're right. He is really left-wing. Let's show him some even more left-wing ones. Ten clicks later, you're watching... So you start off watching Vox and you end up watching the uh, socialist worker parties of Azerbaijan's yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a journey. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, that's... And we no one really understands how that even works. So we've got to come up with ways. And I kind of trust... I trust the younger generation coming up behind me to figure oh, really? this one no, out. No, no. Mm. Oh, right, okay. I miss... Yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah. Minecraft and dabbing. <laughs> so, so, but, but, I, but I kind of... I, I hope that there's... And I do see signs of a lot of young people what's starting to worry about this, realising there's a problem going on. They're, they're studying programming and coding a lot more than I ever did at school because we didn't study that. And so they, I'm sure a lot of the ethical guys worried about this stuff will come through and be like, you know what, I want to work with government trying to work out these problems. The problem is all the best jobs and all the money is going to if you work for Google, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Tesla, and so on, and Apple, not if you work for some local government enforcement unit. We've got to rebalance it somehow, and I don't know how, but we got to. So you, another part of the book, you didn't spend too much time um, on it because you really want to talk with the politics of it. But you did mention that automation and the change in the economy is going to have huge changes on society in the coming decades as well. That, as you say, the middle class is going to get wiped out and we're going to end up with um, a barbell system of have and have nots. Is that going to further compound these problems? This worries me a lot. I, 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 I think like a lot of things are worrying you. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You've got to All stop right. writing them al algorithms, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the, I, I uh, yeah, look, that, that's a meaningless sentence, isn't it? This worries me a lot now. <laughs> yeah. Look, well, let's just assume you're prefacing everything yeah. with this worries me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right. All Jimmy, right. you want a glass of water? Oh, this worries no. me. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I don't understand how the water's coming out the tap. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it come this from? This is undemocratic. And then it disappears again down this hole. What, what, what does it go to? <laughs> I am... Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw it. It was actually uh, the last couple of days that Google released its latest uh, voice. Oh, my God, yeah. Did you see I, uh, that? Yeah, yeah, the Google Voice Assistant. It's, I mean, 
it's Google Voice Assistant can now like book uh, a hair appointment for you at the Google I.O. conference they showed. You mean like make a phone call on make your behalf? Make a phone call. And it's not like no. this Siri kind of semi-robotic. This was like a, a voice program that had ums, ahs and ehs programmed into it. Ugh. Yeah. So, so imagine I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the assistant. I'm like, hi, yeah, I'd like to book an appointment for my client on, at 10 a.m. on Wednesday. And it, a person on the other end just thinks that's a normal person. Yeah. It's like, we don't have one on, on, on Wednesday. What about Thursday? And the, and the robot's like, mm, Thursday, that, that should be fine as long yeah. as it's after 2 p.m. So in a millisecond, I mean, it had read it, your calendar and knew it, but it just pretends to take five seconds to tell you. Yeah, and it's, it's umming and ahhing and it's it's asking probing questions. And it's like, yeah, got you, got you. Okay, yeah. right. Let me uh, let me think. Okay, I think that's fine. Yeah, and it's literally, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Before we get into why this worries you, I've thought of two hilarious things. Number one, can I get one that sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger? And number <laughs> yeah. two, what's going to happen when the hairdressers has a robot answering the phone? Are you going to have yes. two algorithms pretending to be people taking 15 seconds to do what they could have done in a millisecond. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's like her. Dude, <laughs> the, I, what, that last scenario, I don't know about the Arnie scenario, but... Oh, the, the, <laughs> but, but, but I, oh no. <laughs> Get to the dresser. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed, people will be coming up with ways of messing around with this system and doing all sorts of clever and funny things and making weird phone calls to people. But I, but like uh, you, you know, I'm worried about this inequality problem. Richer people are going to be able to afford better and more sophisticated bots, assistant bots, to sort all their lives out while they're really busy. Probably to, if you work for the tech companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're 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 so busy that you're working twelve hours for the tech firms that you ha- you just you can't be bothered to make a phone call and speak to an ordinary person to book your pizza or your taxi or your haircut. That was and the way they phrased it at Google I.O. It was, it was as if this was like this thing that was holding back society, having to make phone calls to, to book haircuts. And yeah, this like, was the big solution. Never speak to an ordinary human again. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you can work more if you don't have to deal with these people. <laughs> and like, I'm, I genuinely, I'm kind of worried that we're building this world in which rich people's amazing AI assistants are going to be communicating with poor people in the service sector to get stuff for those rich people. And it's like, I just, I, it can go in a really dark direction if we're not careful. Uh, there's loads of break, there's going to be loads of amazing ways that this technology can help people. I'm sure there always is, but we've got to worry about who's going to benefit most from this and who's not. And your point about um, will the hairdressers have their own bot? I'm sure of it soon. We'll get, we'll be able to dispense of the person, the receptionist. No need for that job anymore because a bot will sort all of that out. I think it would actually end up being more sophisticated because that would be like a B2B thing, or like a business facing thing that they could charge that would be more profitable than, say, like your free AI that comes with your phone where it's free, but you're the product. You know what I mean? I feel like businesses would end up having more sophisticated, able to handle multiple phone calls coming in and navigating different tones of voice based on who's contact them, contact oh. them and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I guess bots should know immediately if they're communicating with each other. Mm. Uh, there should be a something in place that lets them, and then they can dispense with this ridiculous conversation. It's just, it's just over like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's just done immediately. Yeah. Oh, so you don't have two bots talking to each other, arguing over which thing. Or if I'm watch- falling in love, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes think I'm falling in love with the the woman who says unexpected item in the bagging area in the supermarket. <laughs> oh, you should come to Ireland and get on a public transport bus. They uh, they used a 60 year old man recording who who has bad grammar. Is uh, whenever the doors are opening on the side to put the luggage in, and he says, "Stand back, luggage door operate," and it goes up. <laughs> Have you never noticed that? <laughs> no. That yeah. yeah. So you're kind of you're going to start programming in little quirks mm. to make people feel like. It's... <laughs> but like, but, but this, is, this is the problem with it, which is that you like. It, it's not that there'll be no jobs in future. There, there, there'll be amazing jobs for the people that are building these bots. And those people will be very productive because they won't. They'll be able to get all of their annoying tasks done by automated AI assistants. They'll get richer and wealthier, and they'll own some of the tech, and they'll all the profits they'll be earning, and it'll be amazing. And but then you'll have those jobs like the receptionist jobs that just won't be needed anymore. Uh, and will be those people will be looking for jobs that you can't automate, like actually doing the haircut or cycling the pizza. To mm. the people that have ordered it through their AI bot, and then this is the barbell economy, like clerical work, 
legal assistant and paralegal work, a lot of writing work, uh, that stuff won't be necessary. So the algorithm is going to be super good at doing the human interaction parts, but then the rest of us are just going to be done the ape, the physical ape stuff of just moving around. Until the drones get insecure. So, so it's like there's this. This is the what. This is the sort of the correct dystopia to fear. Not that none of us have jobs and we all lounge around having a great time. um, What a terrible given a universal basic income and sort of whatever it is. But that we just inequality keeps getting worse and worse in society. You know and. And then you have this kind of category of people who are really well off, really socially liberal, really fantastic, incredibly rich. They live in gated communities and everyone else who doesn't and who's angry. And politically, the two sides are going to hate each other. And we're just going to get more of this division in society. I mean, I used to live in San Francisco. I used to work in Silicon Valley. Oh, did you? Tech. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I lived in San Francisco and you can see a microcosm of that already in that city. It's crazy that place. In, yeah, it's it's, it's nuts. It it's is nuts. Unbelievable. You have you know these homeless people with yeah. serious drug addictions all over the streets, and then people walking past them like the most coolest, hippest, thirty-year-olds yeah. on skateboards and t-shirts going into their amazing jobs, and it's like this is insane. Yeah, a frequent occurrence would be because I I would again lived in San Francisco and I got one of those tech buses down to. I remember um, the paragraph yeah. in the book giving out about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, you were one of the, you I was one one of the of people I, on the I, buses. It was the worst because, like, I, I came over from Dublin. I was super young when I went over. The company had, you know, sorted me out with a visa and everything. I was just, like, wide-eyed. This is amazing. I've got this this fancy tech job. And you get there and you go to the city and the vitriol targeted at you. And I can and I can totally see why. I can absolutely see why. Like bricks were thrown at Google buses when I was there, and I got off. I think it was my second week riding that bus. I got off, and um, a guy just shouted at me in in Castro, San Francisco, um, saying by ruining the neighborhood. I was like, I just got here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this about? But you can see that 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 dynamic of yeah. of the the tech elite, say, and then the, the those who have not. Do you and have it? Do you have it at all in Dublin? Because it because Dublin is also a kind of tech hub, isn't it? Yeah, really? Google have seven thousand employees in Dublin, and that's and then whatever amount of contractors that they have as well. Yeah, it's huge, and and every major tech company is represented because it's it, there's not a lot of um like product development happening over there, but there would be a lot of sales and support positions yeah. and yeah, nice um, tax breaks. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. headquarters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you so. know, it's I I I this is this when I was in San Francisco, and, and I don't it's, I don't really blame the tech guy. I mean, the tech no, guys it, are, yeah. are often really cool people. They are, they do believe their products are helping the world. They're, they're, you know, they're also just trying to make a living for themselves. Yeah. It's, ju- it's just a, an underlying economic dynamic. It's not yeah. any one person's fault. So it's no good. Yeah. I don't point the finger at the tech people and be like, you guys are ruining everything. It's just, there's a system unfolding here that's just, it just feels quite unhealthy. And I, I looked at San Francisco to say, if this is the future of our societies, then I, I don't like I don't like where it's heading. Yeah, yeah, it, that became like at first. It's a very shiny city, and I, I did love my time there. But by the end of it, there is that does kind of grate on you a little bit. There's only so much of that dichotomy you can see on a daily basis before it like really starts. You start feeling a bit you. guilty as yeah, well because you're like I'm on this so. amazing campus with like artisanal coffee and yeah. like a free amazing lunch, and then I go I want to go out to these cool bars. I'm going through bits of town which are just. They're so just bad. Tense everywhere. So tense, yeah. so rough, and it's like, yeah. oh man. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a weird place. It's a weird yeah. place for sure. You make me all nostalgic, but in the worst <laughs> way. <laughs> Is it true to say though that not all the um the tech billionaire types are necessarily optimistic about the future themselves? Isn't there like a new culture of Silicon Valley preppers? Yeah, 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 there is, yeah. I mean, this is weird nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. they're always so optimistic when you see them like at their conferences and stuff. TED Talks. Yeah, yeah TED Talks. Like TED Talks. Also... Yeah, the, 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 the rumour is that they're not always so optimistic in private. So where mm. is Mark Zuckerberg's bunker and how many nuclear bombs can it take? For <laughs> <laughs> I, like there's this, yeah, this kind of movement of Silicon Valley preppers who have basically... Sometimes it's just because they're so rich that they're like, we might as well hedge our bets. (laughs) I mean, we're so loaded that why not? Peter Thiel, one of the great uh, investors in Silicon Valley, uh, who's another Bond villain, um, but also a genius. I mean, he's like a grandmaster level chess player. The best Bond villains always are. Well, they are, aren't they? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, of course. So so, uh, he he has uh, a citizenship in New Zealand 
And he apparently has this like amazing bolt hole there that, you know, acres of land, well protected. He's got a plan in place to be able to leave very quickly. And, you know, he's got like planes on standby and that is kind he, of is stuff. Is he originally from New Zealand or did he acquire this No, he's originally through? from Germany. He's German, yeah. Oh, right. But spent a lot of time in the US. So this was a calculated decision. Yes. Yes. And apparently a significant number of Silicon Valley millionaires and billionaires have this kind of getaway this mm. and 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 some of that concern is being driven by the possibility that we're creating this world where so many jobs will be automated ai is going to be incredibly powerful millions of people are going to kind of rebel against the system and those people will blame the techies they'll well, be like you guys are taking you guys have built the tech that's taken all of our jobs mm. and we're going to come and get you for it and they don't really care because they're in their you know ai protected fortress that it's fine because they're wearing the, mech yeah. suits now. Yeah, so like <laughs> the same, the same people up. who are building the society are that is going to end up like this dystopian are already hedging their bets against it. Yeah, that's that should be cause for some worry. And yeah. the frustrating thing is, like, I can't afford a getaway. Yeah, like when things go mm. wrong, I'm just going to be in the middle of it. But these guys are fine. They're going to buy gonna... a bunch of baseball bats and hope that's enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I live in a basement flat anyway, <laughs> yeah. so I'll just hide down there. I've got like tins and of, of tuna. That's my bolt. Yeah, and tins of baked beans. <laughs> Uh, but but the, the 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 I I met one of them and I went to his like island. Wow. Uh, it's called Antonio Garcia Martinez. He used to be a product development, uh, like a, a a product officer at Facebook, and he was really actually important in building custom audiences, which is one of Facebook's key uh, advertising products that Donald Trump really relied on. So uh, yeah, he's like a quite an integral player at the, actually. Mm. But he like a few years ago, he was really worried about the direction of travel. He could see that. Millions of jobs would be automated and maybe we'd create new jobs, but a lot of people are going to lose out. And those people are basically the way he'd say it is that those are the people that have guns in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, they're, and they're not just going to sit around and take it. And I don't like the way San Francisco's going. I see, I see in that a kind of vision of the future. And so he decided to leave and he, he, he can't afford a, a massive palace in New Zealand but he's got himself off on the Washington State coast, a little island. He lives in a sort of high-tech teepee. <laughs> and I went over there. And What's we, a high-tech teepee? We, well, it's like a teepee that's really amazing. Like, And it's got this beautiful wooden floor like like here in yeah. this room, you know, and it's got a nice, a nice yeah. toilet and a nice this and a nice that. And it's, you know, it's just, it's comfortable. Sounds like a house. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, well, I'm calling it a teepee because yeah. it's more romantic. <laughs> it's very romantic. Two more, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I was there, it literally was a teepee. Like, uh -huh. we put it we put it up together. What? And he still was going to the bathroom in a bucket. But I've since... What an interesting man. <laughs> but I yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He's yeah. a really interesting guy. Uh, he's, a, he's actually got a New York Times bestselling book out as well. Oh, wait. About his time working for Facebook. Oh, is it more of like an expose kind of a thing? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. I'd be interested yeah. in that. What's so I don't know if he went to, it's called uh, Chaos Monkeys. So I don't know whether he went to his TP to avoid Facebook's lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Zuckerberg will find him if he wants to. <laughs> yeah. well, um, so are there any solutions? We've, yeah, we've, we heard a lot of wor the W word. And the, but like, what are some things that maybe alleviate so that worry? The EU, which is such an amazing... Uh, organization that can fix all problems um they, they're suggesting a three percent tax on revenues over whatever amount of billion, bazillions to try and catch these multinationals as they avoid paying taxes as a way to like try and boost up the state and try and help it survive do you think that'll work i i oh god you know, you know, I said at the beginning how my editor made me put those brackets in mm. about how to save it. It was, it was a tough ask, was it? <laughs> it was a tough oh, because I was like, well, they got, you, they're like, you got to come up with some ideas, and I was like, I've got some ideas, but I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not a. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to some of these problems. Only to raise awareness about them, get people thinking about them, get smarter people than me to come up with answers and solutions. Fine, we'll do it. The Homer, yeah, Simpson, guys. The Homer Simpson ideology, can't someone else do it? Yeah. <laughs> but I did write this book, but can someone else fix yeah. it? Yeah. Precisely. So, 
I'm 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 interested in in new ideas about what you do, and uh, you know, large. This is a this is an international problem. International organisations like the EU clearly got to play a role. I mean, and they have been more than anyone else been pushing back against the monopolies. They've been fining them. They've fined yeah. Google a huge amounts of money. We got this GDPR yeah. rule coming in that everyone's terrified about. That mm. I think is probably actually quite a good thing. Yeah. Although it probably means we'll lose the artificial intelligence race with China because they don't have pesky privacy laws to stop them researching stuff. So that's bad. I'm worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned they're implementing a point system to evaluate. Oh, the, what the Chinese are doing is a whole nother question. <laughs> uh, we can't even get into that, but that's another dystopia to worry about. Let's think about how democracy is screwed. Let's not like let's go to the authoritarian, or already authoritarian systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And how they'll use this technology to monitor people even better, which I'm sure they will. They already are. Mm. But so, so I, I think the EU might actually be quite a good body at the moment to do something about this you know they've clearly decided they're going to take consumer privacy seriously that they're they're, they're brave enough to go after the big tech companies um so yeah i i'm kind of looking good job the uk is just left just at the just, moment when <laughs> we really need them <laughs> good one guys <laughs> so yeah that's one that is one answer that is one answer it's a concerted effort i mean i am looking uh maybe far too hopefully that that domestic governments can also start doing more like we've got to update our election law so like let's say for example you used to have big billboards on walls and television ads in elections and you could monitor them everyone got to see them the regulators could check they were accurate obviously now when you're getting personal have you ever been to ireland during an election not during an election. It doesn't matter what election it is for. Every single space in every single area, rural and urban, is covered in uh, poster billboards like a- AU3 or A2. Yeah. You know what? I have seen that. Yeah, mm. I have. And I don't crazy. even think it was an election time. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. How many? And they're like quite big pictures of the candidate oh, yeah, as well. Like it's, all, it's, it's they all follow the, a very specific format. It's yeah. all like very even for clear. the referendum, which isn't about specific individuals, they still have pictures of people because that's just how the Irish people apparently relate yeah. to political issues. Yeah. So, but that's all we have. We, we only have laws governing that. Yeah, exactly. We yes. don't have anything to cover the internet sphere. So you've got laws on the TV ads as well? Oh, yeah, very strict, yeah. very strict. Right, yeah, and I don't know, is there a blackout period? In the moratorium Ireland? kicks yeah. in like 24 hours before yeah, the right. election. So yeah, right, so France has a thing that's a week, I think. The UK has a 24-hour one too. But when it comes to the online stuff, yeah, so it's, it's lawless. The national yeah. broadcaster can't talk about it on its 6-1 news, but then on the web, on the news website, it can have massive articles saying whatever it wants. Yeah, it it's, it's come on, that's ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? We, so, so we... We've got to try to update our law to reflect if we want those principles and we believe those principles are important. Because the idea of the 24-hour blackout is that citizens need time to reflect a bit on everything they've seen. They don't want to have last-minute noises in their ears and they should be able to think about that in peace. You can't do that when you're walking around with a phone where you're getting messages all the time about this stuff. And if we think that's an important principle, we've got to try to enforce it online too. And One way with the political ads is to say... All right, all the political parties, every single ad that you target online through Facebook or whatever, or it's on Google or it's on it's on, it's on um, banner ads on websites, you've got to publish them. You've got to publish all of them and you've got to show how you targeted people and who you targeted and what iterations of ads you ran on them and how successful those ads were and, and publish it all in a big, massive, boring Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> like the expenses, like they have to. Yeah, exactly. Diet. And and you know, and, and journalists will then rake over it. And it shouldn't just be seventy percent of our budget went on online ads. <laughs> but here's our breakdown of posters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So 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 there's a few. I think there are a few laws that we we can introduce. And you know what? Maybe politicians are going to have to get up to speed a bit quicker about this because some of them just don't understand what the hell's going on. Yeah. It's hard for them to pass laws when they don't get it. They, this is all a lot of it's alien to them. Yeah. I think the 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 um, Zuckerberg when Zuckerberg went to Washington, that yeah, was pretty hearings, evident yeah. of, of of the the state of their understanding. It was interesting that because what I found is that some of the senators were really good, and you could tell, and you could tell they were they were holding him to account. They were really pushing him, and some just had no idea what on earth the internet was. Yeah, it's sort of like what the fundamental concept of what an email was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was enough. an email. When I it's do not... the WhatsApp, do, do you do you do you put it to the emails? That was actually... It's not good enough, is it? Yeah, it's no. not good enough. 
Mm. I don't know how's I don't know how you'd consider your the state of your politicians, whether you think they're better than Oh well, we got a super cool young trendy T shark who's on Twitter all oh, the time. Oh that's true. Yeah, that's yeah, true. To, trendy yeah. leaders are all the rage right now. Yeah, oh, good no. Same same said trendy leader has done feck all to do anything with this latest referendum online. So Well I remember when Tony Blair was the trendy leader. <laughs> I mean he was called the trendy vicar. He was like oh. he was like a cool vicar. That was well, that was that was what that was the kind of the joke about him. He yeah. was like the cool vicar. Yeah, he's cool, he but still kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So beware of trendy young leaders. Basically, is my message. Yeah. Um, so, so you we we if if it's not politicians, then at the very least, um, bits of the government need to really upskill the staff, the quality. Like you suggested, we, like an algorithm police, perhaps not not police that are algorithms, because that's definitely <laughs> not going to be good. But rather, police that understand algorithms. Yeah, exactly. And 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 we we have this information commissioner's office here, which can go around and investigate privacy breaches and stuff like that. But it's like seven people and a dog. Yeah. And it's like it has it's got no powers compared to what it needs and it's got no staff compared to what it needs. And they should be allowed to say, we've heard that your algorithms that you've built are discriminating in the CV. Like, let's say it's a CV checking algorithm that companies use to try to filter out CVs. We can we're hearing that you're routinely discriminating against women because it's your data is historical data where women maybe didn't do so well in these jobs. And so that's fed into the algorithm, which is now continuing that pattern. So we want to investigate your algorithm, please. And the, the company should be forced to, to do that. So this is a kind of new way that you might hold algorithms to account. And I, because I think that's this kind of algorithmic injustice is, is a real thing. I heard someone saying, as actually someone posted on Twitter, saying that they'd heard an Uber driver you know, how's your day today? And he's like, oh, brilliant. The algorithm's been kind to me today. Oh, oh that's so isn't dystopian. That, isn't that horrible? Oh, See, both of you were immediately like, oh, straight yeah. away. Yeah, oh. it's, yeah, it's like the connotation. Why? Like, Why does that feel so bad to you? It's worship. It's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like literally like you could, you, the gods smile upon you type type. But when language. you're working in a job which is based on an algorithm giving you jobs randomly. That's what it is, or, yeah. Isn't that what's happening? Mm. So we like we've got to find a way of holding these things to account because I find that awful. That's a horrifying thought, you know. Um, but I get it as well with Twitter. Like if I put a tweet out and I just get a bit fortunate that the right person retweets it, it's like yes, yeah. Well, oh my god. <laughs> we were talking earlier on that I had uh, a bit of a journey to get here mm. when I was uh, at the final crunch time with people shouting at the air the airline representative at the end of the at the end of the delayed flight, and one of them goes, I'm a senior journalist on Twitter, and Jeremy Clarkson retweeted my, <laughs> my disdainful no. tweet about this situation, and that's why you're here. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but uh, Jeremy Clarkson retweeted a, a, a bad tweet with this airline tagged in it, and then all of a sudden, the representatives are on the floor. <laughs> you see what that is, that is, and that's a weird, this is a good example, I think, of how power is still out there, but just in a new way. So the idea that, these technologies are uh, inherently liberating for everyone. Mm. Well, not really, because if you're a person on Twitter with loads of followers who complains, I've, I've, I don't do it myself, but I see a lot of people do it. They decide. I tried, I'm not to, gonna I complain. tried to do it; it didn't work. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not influential <laughs> enough. Uh, one day, but like who you you know used to used to phone up a switchboard and complain, and everyone had the same way of doing it. Now people complain publicly on Twitter saying at British Airways or at Aer Lingus or at Ryanair or whatever. You know, this is disgusting. What's happened to me? I've been waiting six hours, blah, blah, blah. And if you're influential, you will get an answer. They will do something. And if you're not, you'll get ignored. But when you used to phone up, you know, everyone was kind of treated. This. So so we've created these new inequalities that we're still, I think, trying to work out. That I th But I think we'll be just as powerful as the old ones. Now, the other thing you said about the solutions... I think in the end, it's probably going to come down to us. Like we, all of us are building this society. When I mentioned like, oh, the algorithm's been good to me today. Oh, it's horrible. The algorithm is based on my Uber rides that I've taken as well. Like I have built that algorithm. Mm. We are all complicit in building this world. We are complicit in all of us being addicted to our phones, staring at them all the time. We've got to do something about that. We have to make decisions. We have to try to regain our own powers of attention. 
I think we should start looking at our online behavior a bit like we do with fair trade. You know, like when everyone started buying organic fair trade eggs. It's going to be uh, the fair trade fair, social media algorithm. Fair trade social media. Mm. Yeah, seriously. Like fair Found trade coffee. <laughs> fair media. trade coffee and free range eggs. I mean, I remember when that all came in and yeah. everyone started thinking, wow, yeah, you know what? Maybe my consumer decisions are actually important. I, I can make a difference here. And I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember when that really first started and it was like, oh my God, the fair trade coffee, it's like 50p more expensive, but I should buy that because that's the right thing to do. And maybe it's the, tra- the same online. Maybe you're going to be like, okay, this search engine that I'm going to use, it's not as good as Google. It's going to annoy me, but maybe that's the fair trade alternative that I should, I should support that one. Mm. Or maybe I should pay for a service uh, and that's the right thing to do. And yes, it's more expensive. But convenience is not the only thing that matters and price is not the only thing that matters in the world. And on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah, yeah I think I think I need to go and fill a basement with baseball bats and beans. So we should... I thought you had one already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to be sounds bigger. Like my, <laughs> yeah, sounds like my flat. <laughs> baseball bats and beans. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a, my next album is going to be called. <laughs> my studio album. Richie Nolan presents Baseball Bats and Beans. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much. The book is fantastic. Like it really, really is. It's available on Amazon if you want to feed it into the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Or or just go to Jamie's house and he'll have a sack of them in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> you can find Jamie on the, at certain corners around London selling it. Um, that's the best, most fair trade way to do it. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. otherwise you can get it on Kindle, on Amazon. You can get it in uh, most good bookstores, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's excellent. It is excellent. I would describe it as like essential reading. Going forward, the way we're, the society is progressing, I would say it is essential reading for everyone. Even if it is a little bit scary, you, you know, it's scary, scary, but he is nice enough to put 20 points to, to help us at the end. This so, nice optimi- yeah. optimistic end, in parentheses, if you will. <laughs> Even though it was like, you could tell it was really rushed and put there because it was forced to. But it was written in crayon in every yeah. book. Spelling mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trails off at the end and says, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> no, but it's, it's great. The, the, the solutions at the end, the 20 point solutions at the end are all the nice way to end it, I should say. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, course. thanks very much, guys. And thanks, uh, thanks very much for having me. No, no problem. Yeah, problem. Cheers. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.